News Talk On Demand. Interruption-free audio, where you want it, when you want it. Good morning, and welcome to Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Back for a second week, and I'm excited to be here. I'm Jay Thomas, and I've got Jill Van Dyke with me, of course, hosting the show. Good morning. Good morning, Jill. Uh, we got a special treat today because, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit last week, but we're obviously going to take any of your questions in, when it comes to gardening, uh, indoor plants. We've got one, in fact, that's come in from uh, Rosanda about a sandy, well, a hibiscus with something going on with it. So we'll talk about that okay. in a little bit. But we've got a special guest today, and Robin Adair is back with us, and uh, Robin's been on the show many times before. Welcome back, Robin. Hey, thanks for having me. Robin's from Arborcrest. Yeah, so. Robin is from Arborcrest, and Arborcrest um, it was established in 2008, um, and Robin graduated with honors um, from Olds College um, back in 1996 and became a certified arboriculturist, and um, he has been very involved in the community, whether he started off his career in Calgary and um, actually taught the pruning portion of the Master Gardeners program at the Calgary Zoo from 1999 to 2007. So he, I love that he just has his community involvement and um, just a desire to really educate people on pruning. So I'm excited to have you on the air today and excited for our callers to be able to ask you questions about pruning, about tree damage, about disease, what they're seeing out there and really get your expert advice, Robin. Thanks. Yeah, I'm sitting here in a hockey lot. Uh, parking lot here in Melville, so hopefully my uh, reception is good. <laughs> Melville, Saskatchewan, I love that. I was in Yorkton a couple weeks ago, and now we're in Melville. We're just traveling around the province doing the show. It's great. Exactly. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, so if you're listening to the show and you've got a question, one 332 8255 We're going to talk about a few trends that are happening with trees right now. That might spark something that's going on in your yard. You know, you're thinking, I know a lot of us aren't thinking about it right now. It's the dead of winter. We're all huddled up inside. I mean, we've got, a, you know, a nice few days here and there. But on average, not many of us are thinking about trees right now. But it is a good time to get prepared and get set up for what's coming down the line, Robin, right? Yeah, like there's all the uh, eight, six feet of snow and snow banks everywhere, so it's actually tough to get at the trees, but those will soon melt. And um, then we can get in. Uh, we actually just started our pruning last week. Like we just, I just want to thank my, my crew for working so hard this winter doing snow. It just, it's just been relentless this year, uh, January spe- uh, specifically. It's just nonstop snow. So uh, we're, we're liking the moisture, though. We're liking having the white, the white stuff around for some moisture and Hopefully fill up uh, fill up some dugouts around Saskatchewan because I see a lot of dryness, a lot of lot of dugouts dried up. Now, what does that uh, dryness do to the trees? What are we seeing? Yeah, so we're seeing. Uh, I just drove into Melville here, right around their uh, baseball diamonds. Everybody they topped, which is actually not a great pruning practice, but they've topped all their poplar trees around their around their ball diamonds here, and it's just uh, all those dead tops. Those poplars are just dying. They're just not getting enough moisture up into their in their vascular system to to stay alive so we're starting to see a lot of tip dieback and uh, you see elms around uh, Saskatoon um, I don't know if City Park for some reason there's quite a few elms around the city hospital there that are having to have their tops reduced because their tops are just dying and uh, we're just hoping for some good couple wet years of of rain here to get some moisture down in the subsoil 
I mean, we've got a good start with the amount of snow we've got. It's not, not, you know, province wide necessarily, but, you know, many pockets of the province have a, have a decent amount of snow. I did see, I think it was an Environment Canada, you know, uh, spring runoff prediction. And yeah, not everything is, is great for the province in terms of, you know, the amount of snow we've got and what we're going to end up with this spring. So it's going to be fascinating to see, but we can do things to, to combat that, right? Yeah, just uh, water, water, water when you can in the summer. And uh, we're a big proponent of mulch, so wood chip mulch. Uh, a lot of the arborist companies have it for, for cheap. Um, it's a good product. It's uh, I, 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 We're always uh, pushing mulch. Uh, just keeps the weeds down, keeps that soil moisture in the ground. Uh, and also it just helps insulate from uh, temperature swings. You get these, all of a sudden it's minus 30 one day and plus 10 the next day. It just... That mulch really helps insulate the soil around young trees. Is, uh, it's getting expensive to plant trees now, too. It's getting expensive to do a lot of things. So we're just trying to protect our investment. I know. I think, you know, too, the other thing is that for evergreens, pines, spruce, things like that, you're not going to have success growing much underneath of them anyways, <laughs> you know, when yeah, they get exactly. bigger, right? So why not just mulch underneath? Because it's going to be tough to grow grass as the, the, the tree gets older, things like that. That's just going to help those the, that tree stay healthy, right? Yeah, you don't see uh, grass growing under trees in the forest. You see organics, you see, uh, you know, the, the natural compost happening. And that's what mulch does, too. It just it adds organics to the soil, and it's just it's great for, uh, for under trees, especially spruce. Because that's, that's the most phone calls we get lately is just spruce, spruce, spruce. They're just they're, these, these droughty years we've had the last three to five years. Now it's really starting to take a toll on the spruce. So uh, they're turning yellow. They're, they're, they're browning. They're... You know, they're just not healthy. They're not vibrant and blue or green. So that's what we're trying to help them out with fertilizers and whatnot. Okay. And when people are putting that mulch underneath their spruce trees or underneath their trees, how thick should they be applying that mulch underneath their trees? It's a good point because I see people overloading it. And I actually, uh, I actually did it to a few trees in my yard too. We just that sometimes just too mulch is too too good too much of a of a thing. So uh, four inches max. Uh, that those roots still need to breathe. They still need oxygen down in the roots. So, um, you know, three three to five inches usually settles down to about four inches of mulch, and that's great, right out to the drip line. And are you putting landscape fabric underneath your mulch, or are you letting just putting the mulch straight on the soil so it can kind of compost naturally into the soil? I love that you brought that up, because we see it everywhere. There's so many landscape companies around Saskatoon, and we just we get in there to uh, renovate a, a bed or, or, or do some pruning around some shrubs, and you see landscape fabric, and just overused. It, uh, you don't need landscape fabric under mulch. Mulch is supposed to work into the soil. It's supposed to compost, and that landscape fabric. Um, we actually still see some plastic, if you can imagine. People in the 80s used plastic as uh, landscape fabric, and that's, uh, of course, a complete no-no. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. The water would just run right away from your trees. So. How about? Yeah, exactly. The roots can't breathe, and it's just not great horticulturally at all. How about old shingles? You ever see that anymore? I know people <laughs> used to use that as landscape fabric. Take the shingles off the roof, put them on the ground. Yeah, sure. Keep the weeds. No, well, you see, you see all sorts of stuff. But yeah, no landscape fabric's a big no-no. It's it's not needed. Uh, maybe in a spot where you're maybe going to park a car or you're not going to be doing any planting. Uh, you really don't want any weeds coming through. Sure. Throw down some landscape fabric. Like maybe mulch, under some rock, rock or something. Yeah. Like we that. only ever use landscape fabric under rock or shale or, 
and that's about it. Uh, maybe under a deck, uh, things like that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, right. And then yeah. you're just topping up the mulch um, every so often, just sort of to keep it, keep it thick, keep it fresh, and as it like it will decompose over time. So it's you can't just put it in once and expect it to be there forever, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's just every three years or so, you just add. So you add 100% in year one, and then three years from now, you just add another 20%, top it up. And there's so many different mulches available, cedar mulch, bark mulch, rough rider green mulch, yep. red mulch, black. all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Black mulch. Black, black is kind of our number one for what we use. It just, it, uh, that heat, and it just, it just kind of gets the plants really popping, and it, it looks great. I notice I've got black mulch in my yard and a few flower beds where there's just shrubs and sort of perennials and stuff like that. And um, yeah, after a couple of years, it's starting to look sun-faded and it doesn't have that, you know, vibrancy anymore. But kind of after two years, it's ready to be renewed anyways, right? So I kind of well, yeah. scrape some of it out and chuck, you know, a bit of it and add some more fresh stuff on top. So. And Unfortunately, it gets, a bad, it gets a bad rap because people don't do it right. They need Mulch needs somewhere to knit up against on an edge, on a good cement edge or a good construction edge. Because some people just put it down, plunk it down on the soil, and then the Saskatchewan winds pick it up and blow it all over the parking lot. <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately, it gets a bad rep. But if it's done right, it's, it's, it's horticultural gold. Yeah, so making sure that you dig down your bed an inch or two or so or three inches before you put the mulch on is really important. Exactly. What exactly. do you? Uh, how do, how does uh, like rubber mulch work for for that sort of scenario? Is it still effective? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a big fan. Uh, I I think there's got to be some toxicity in there with the rubber. Uh, so I'm all about the natural natural mulches. Um, I, I'm sure there's been some tests done on it over in in the academia, but I I haven't really read any. But uh, just to me, wood mulch, wood chip mulch. It has those organics. It has leaf material. It has Stuff to add to the soil. Yep. Uh, rubber mulch again, maybe somewhere where you're not planting. Okay. You yeah. Know, just yeah. yeah. And I got one more question for you. We talked about you know watering, how important that's going to be this spring. Um, in terms of how to water, you know, some of these big trees, do you use one of those Ross root feeders that you poke into the ground and water it deep that way? Do you water from the surface? How often? How much? What, what's your what your what are your guidelines? Yeah, it all depends on the yard, right? It depends on your soil structure. You got five different soil structures around Saskatoon. You got Martinsville, which is boulders and rock. You got south of uh, Clarence, which is uh, sandy, sandy soil uh, mm-hmm. down towards Dakota Dunes. Um, you got wetlands over in Briarwood and Willow Grove. It all depends on your yard. So there's really no. It's just you got to water and and just kind of see what your soil structure is like. My dad always told us to stick a piece of rebar down into the soil and pull it up, and you can kind of sort of see what the moisture level is around your tree by just feeling the soil around there. So just like with a house plant, when you stick your finger in that soil, it's really important that you're actually touching and feeling that soil and, and seeing what your yard is telling you. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Okay, let's take a quick break. We've got Janet on the line from Accord, uh, a question about uh, a pussy willow tree. So we're going to talk about that when we get back. Janet, hang on with us because we're going to get you on with Robin as soon as we get back from the break. And, hey, don't forget, you can always call us and text us as well. one 332 8255 We've got Rosanda's text and Linda's text as well. We'll get to those when we get back, too. I'm Jay Thomas with Jill Van Dyvendyke. This is Garden Talk on 980-CJME and 650-CKOM. Welcome back to Garden Talk on 980-CJME and 650-CKOM. I'm Jay Thomas with Jill Van Dyvendyke. I get to guest host this one more weekend. I should say this weekend. Then is Rick's back next weekend? I think 
one more weekend and then he's back. Okay, something so. like that. So we're going to have some fun here. And we've got Robin Adair from Arborcrest uh, here to, to, to join us and take your questions. Okay, Robin, you ready for some questions? Let's do it. All right. So we've got uh, Janet, who is out in McCord. And Janet, good morning and welcome to Garden Talk. Good morning. How are you guys today? Good, good, good. You've got a question about a pussy willow. Um, actually, a weeping pussy willow. Okay. Um, we're on the edge where I live. It's kind of on the edge of zone 3B and 4A. And um, just, I've, I've tried weeping pussy willows twice now. They never make it through the winter. And I'm debating on doing it. I really love them, and I'd love to have one in my yard. And uh, I'm going to try one more time. (laughs) So I just thought I would just phone in and see if there's something that I should be doing with it. It 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 just like it does well through the summer, and come fall, it just you know I, I thought it went into the fall good the last time, and yeah, and then in the spring, no, it came back from the bottom and nothing on top. Yeah, so where's McCord? McCord, we're about um, about 45 minutes away from the U.S. border. Yeah. We're way down south. Hey, way down south, yeah. Like, I have a friend in Calgary that keeps texting me. It's been plus 20 in Calgary all week, and there's no yeah, snow out there. And it's just that, that banana belt of heat comes through right through into Medicine Hat, Swift Current. Yeah, and uh, really drives things out. I, I just I'd have to throw it over to Jill and see what's see what they have available around uh, the garden centers there for for weeping pussy willows. Well, one I'm of just the... wondering if uh, if the ones that she's bringing, and I wonder if they're actually hardy to this province. Well, there is some that are hardy. Like she said, she's more in a zone four area. So weeping pussy willows, it it really just depends on the top there. Now, what you can do is like how big is how big is this tree? Um, they're, they're like, it's tall. They're probably like four to five feet. Okay. Cause the other thing that you can do is just like what you might do, like a top graft is, um, maybe doing some, some mulching around the, around the top just to protect the top of it a little bit, um, from the, the harshness of the winter. Um, but making sure that you're fertilizing it well, getting a good root system and giving it adequate water and making sure that it's really healthy will be the best thing for success. But yeah, making sure that the variety that you have is, is nice and hardy is, is important as well too. So can you, do you have the names of any varieties that, because I've done all that. <laughs> I don't really have the names the off the top of my head, but if you want to email rick at com, we'd be able to grab some names for you. Okay, okay. Um, and you guys bring them into, like, the Dutch growers in Regina, right? Um, I believe the Dutch growers in Regina, sometimes you can go into the garden centers, too, and request some different types of plants, too, and they can bring them in that way. Okay, okay. I know plants are hard to get a hold of this year. I've already been talking to our local greenhouse. And she's having quite the time already. So, Robin, do you have any advice as far as like maybe how to overwinter some of these um, see, these higher zone plants? Maybe it's those zone three, zone four plants that are kind of on I would call them gardeners' challenges. Um, do you have any advice that you've been successful with? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Just uh, and maybe it sounds like the caller is doing the right things there too for planting, making sure they have good good uh, uh, size planting hole, good organics around the, the root ball, get it a good start, uh, start a fertilizing program on it, uh, and then uh, mulch. Of course, mulch is going to help everything because willows, willows and birches, those are the ones that need the most water. And, of course, you don't want to overwater, 
but um, just kind of making sure that the soil is wet and keep the soil moist. But uh, maybe on a sheltered side of the yard, um, I don't oh, yeah, know if on an acreage or at home. It is actually in a really good sheltered spot in the backyard. So And it's got a five-foot fence behind it, so it's kind of getting... And the house is on the other side of it, so it's it's sheltered on pretty much. The yeah. other thing that you want to make sure you're doing is um, around the middle of early to middle of August, you want to stop fertilizing your hardy trees and shrubs. And uh, if we've had uh, a lot of water, you want to decrease the water. You want to make sure that that plant is not going to be actively growing and showed, shooting off a bunch of new growth into the fall season. You want it to start going dormant a little bit. So watch that as well. Is there okay. any, any possibility? Is there anything in the winter time? Like, should I? Can I cover it, or should I? Like, I put extra leaves and stuff around the base of it to the last time. Like, I, I'm just at a loss as as to overwinter it to try to get it to come back. Like, should I prune it back a little bit? Should I just leave it alone? Well, I know, like, even some of like the if it's very tender in that area maybe not doing so well you can even get a big box and fill it up with some mulch and and cover it almost like you would like a a top graft rose or or something that's like maybe a little bit more tender like that and you can see if that might be more successful for you okay is there any possibility uh robin that like this this tree could be could could grow in a pot and be moved into a a garage for overwintering to just be dormant inside a, a cold you know, one, two degree garage. Yeah, that's, that's possible for sure. It's a lot of work, but uh, yep. maybe just uh, there's lots of hardy French uh, pussy willows that, that, that are beautiful. I have a couple in my yard. Um, just uh, you can make cuttings, take cuttings in the spring as soon as the, the catkins come out. And uh, yeah, maybe just a different variety. Uh, okay. there's, there's, there seems to be lots out there. And the problem with them and down in the far south, like they're like where you're at, uh, they just bud out so quick. They're always the first thing when we see those plus fifteens in March. They're budding out right away, and those those if it all of a sudden gets cold again, then that then those cells will just start to freeze again. So they are it's a little trickier. But if you get a good hardy stalk, a good hardy willow, it should be should be good for you. Okay, we have to unfortunately go to our news break. So Janet, thank you for your question today, and have a have a great day, and good luck with this. Thank you very much. All right, you're welcome. And thanks for joining us. Uh, we're going to put things on hold here. We're going to keep the conversation going as soon as we get back. We've got text to answer as well, so stick with us. Or join the conversation, one 332 8255 More to come with Robin from Arbor Crest just after this. I'm Jay Thomas with Jill Van Dyke. This is Garden Talk on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Thanks for joining us on Garden Talk on 980-CJME and 650-CKOM. I'm Jay Thomas, guest hosting here with Jill Van Dyke, And we have a special guest on with us, Robin Adair, who is from Arbor Crest. And Robin is here to take some calls and talk about uh, tree pruning and what that's all about, what it entails, some issues going on with trees kind of around our province right now. So, Robin, we got a couple of texts we want to get to. I want to encourage Trevor from Prince Albert to just hang on. And we're going to have Robin versus Robin. There's another Robin who's from Grandora and that one. Just hang on a sec, guys and gals. Uh, we're going to get to your calls in just a second. We've got a couple that have come in the text. We want to get them answered. From Linda from uh, Langham says, I've got scale on my evergreens. What can I do for it in the spring? Scale is really, really tricky. Um, it, it capsulates itself under like a turtle shell, and it sits in there and, and can do a lot of damage. Uh, you actually need a systemic for that. You need something to go down to the soil, a systemic pesticide, that the tree can 
absorb up and then and then kill the the bug from the inside out. Um, I, 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 I see a lot of people trying oils and and stuff and spraying oils on trees, and all that's going to do is just fry the fry the spruce. So um, scale is a very tricky one on 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 a on an evergreen. Is there is there almost nothing to do? There's nothing really that we can sell at a garden centre that is a systemic. So what would you suggest? They have to call an arborist like you and uh, and get it treated? Yeah, we've got a, a, a neem-based product uh, called Triazine. And uh, we've used that with some success uh, for some scale insects. Uh, they're having a big problem with scale insects in Calgary. All the elm scale there, it's, it's, I've seen it now coming into uh, Saskatoon a little bit. Oyster shell scale. Um, it's it's becoming more of a big uh, a bigger deal here. So we do have some systemics available. Okay, perfect. We've got another text that's coming from Sharon, and she's in Esterhazy. She says, I'm a big Garden Talk fan. Thanks, Sharon, for listening. We're very sad that uh, one of our three huge elm trees has gradually died. It looks possibly like Dutch elm disease. Last year, it really looked dead. It took three years to happen. When we cut it down, or when do we cut it down? What's the best time for that? What do we do with the wood? Can we burn it or use it for other purposes? So she's looking for basically, you know, how, 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 what to do with the one that's dead, and then what do we do to make sure the other trees stay alive? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's a good timely question because you can only prune elm trees until April 1st. Uh, so, but you can remove an elm tree any time of year. So when you remove an elm tree, by law, you have to take it to a landfill that they're going to bury it. And uh, we've just had some really good news here in Saskatoon. The city of Saskatoon have lifted the elm uh, disposal fee uh, at the landfill site. So uh, instead of a $300 load of elm going to the landfill, now it's only $50. And uh, so we're really happy that the city has, uh, has changed the, the, the process for that, for homeowners, for private arborists, for for municipal arborists. So um, for helping the other trees out, uh, so yeah, that one needs to be removed if it's dead, and uh, just monitoring the others. If she does think it's, uh, or he does think it's a Dutch elm disease, uh, to contact the province and, and have it uh, have that tree uh, inspected. Okay. Um, yeah. And, and then taking it down, it has to be dis- disposed of properly. So it's not something you can just cut down, use for, you don't want to keep it in your yard, especially if you have other elm trees around. You don't want to have that around. So it's got to go to someplace proper, right? Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, when the city has had uh, two Dutch elm disease reports in the last two years, uh, one in Montgomery, and so what they do is they take down those affected trees, and then they do a perimeter search of backyards and back alleys, and it's amazing how many people are storing elm wood illegally in their yards. Um, I know it is a nice wood; it's a nice burning wood. It burns hot, but it's just it's that's where the uh, elm uh, beetle is, is is stays over winters is in firewood. So that elm wood now that the city has has lifted their uh, their ban and are not banned, but it's helping us, helping the homeowner uh, dispose of, of Elmwood in the landfill. Let's get that Elmwood to, to the landfill, get it buried. Perfect. Thanks, Sharon, for the text today. We're going to go to a call right now. The other Robin is going to hang on tight, but we're going to go out to Prince Albert right now. And Trevor joins us. Hi, Trevor. Good morning. I have a green ash tree. It's eight inches in diameter, and I at the 11-foot point where it wise out. There's a crack that runs all the way up the tree. And the first day I found it was minus 30, and I could stick my pinky finger in there. I went out the other day with a machinist ruler, and it had closed. And I went out yesterday, it was minus 15, and I could stick that machinist ruler in there two inches. So the crack is opening and closing, and I think it's brand new. 
am I going to lose the whole tree or should I cut that main Y off? On the left side, it's a branch that's four inches in diameter, and on the right side of the crack, it's the rest of the main trunk that goes up that's five to six inches in diameter. Yeah, so it's uh, it's a young enough tree, you might be able to start doing some uh, what we call subordination pruning. So you don't have to take the whole second codominant stem off. You can just maybe shorten that one that's a little bit smaller, shorten it, and then what will happen is that other stem should start to grow and take over the dominance and take over the main, the main uh, structure of the tree. Uh, if it just doesn't seem like the right thing to do... That are uh, any of that, that damage? Sorry, just uh, Trevor, ask your part of your question again, please. Should I cut any of the suckers off underneath any of that damage just so the nutrients keep going all the way up? Yeah, a good yeah, prune it for sure. Get the suckers off, the lower suckers off, up to that first maybe first set of branches. But there is, if you if you're trying to do it, or maybe there's arborists around PA, uh, you can do a, a threaded tie rod. Put a threaded tie rod, have probably a half inch one through that through that crack right where it predominant stems where it starts to to split off. So you can put a threaded tie rod in there, and and if the tree's big enough, maybe put an aircraft cable up in the top part of the canopy to hold it together. That's what we do with uh, bigger trees. That's what my mom's really proud of me for becoming a surgeon, um, <laughs> although it's a tree surgeon, of course. But like we've saved so many trees um, over the years, Calgary especially with ice storms that they had there, um, trees that have been planted by maybe some family member, a, a grandfather, a father planted a tree, and it's all of a sudden split and fall apart, fell apart in the front lawn. We put it back together, bolted back together, and and away we go, and the tree's healthy, and the tree's happy, and so it's a success. Basically, for Trevor, he can you know get a really long drill bit, go through one end to the other, through the the center of the tree, through that crack, threaded rod, some nice big washers, some some uh, nuts that go on it, and then that'll hold it together. Yeah, it's great. It's a it's a great process. Tree surgery. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Trevor, for the call today. Appreciate it. Bye bye. One eight seven seven three three two eight two five five, and I think we can squeeze in one more call here. So we're going to go to Grandora, and it's uh, it's Robin and Robin that we've got on the call today. <laughs> Hi, Robin. How are you? Hi, thanks. Um, I have a, a problem. I'm, I'm losing all my choke cherries, and I want to um, uh, propagate some of my elders to replace them, and I don't know how to do that. Uh, what's happening with the choke cherries? Do we know? Uh, our, oh, they've got that black. Um, uh, looks like on it. Looks like doggy uh, doo doo in the tree. Black knot. Yes. Yeah, black knot is endemic all over uh, Saskatchewan, and uh, it uh, really affects the, 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 the choke cherry family. So, um, choke cherries, Maydays, uh, Schubert cherries. And uh, just have to prune that. Prune that as soon as you see those globs starting on those trees. Just start make sure in the winter when the tree is dormant. Prune those. Uh, prune those. Those infected fungal uh, bodies uh, out of there. It, and then, we live on a farm, and we have hundreds of them. Yeah. So yeah. pruning them just isn't a possibility. Well, here's uh, the other trick. Uh, it's a little bit maybe more drastic, but uh, how about cutting them to the ground and letting them grow back as a shrub? But they don't go back. They almost immediately get that. We, that's what we tried. We cut down. Uh, we had one uh, big clump of them, uh, about 40, and we, we took it right down to the ground. And when they came back, 
even when they were about six inches high, they already had that black knot on them. Yeah, you got quite a, so a pile of black knot there, yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm just going to... I'm, I have several red elders, and if I can... I know you can propagate them, but I don't know how. Yeah, well, it's usually for cuttings, uh, taking cuttings uh, from an elder at the right time of year and putting them in sandy soil and keeping them moist in the spring till they sprout. I don't know if Jill's had any success with propagating elder. I think the biggest thing is is trying to take the cutting off the new growth, off the end, is is the the best thing you can do. And then put it in some some soil, keep it moist until you get the root by um, having high humidity and misting it lots, even putting it into maybe even like what you would almost do a seed starting mix. And then once you get a root system going, then putting it back into the soil. And the key word for horticulture right now and everything is diversity. So uh, choke cherries, elders, nanking cherries, just throwing a different bunch of different varieties into a yard, nine barks, uh, Saskatoons, and, and just mixing up the variety in the yard because you just never know what disease and insect is coming through next. So uh, just, yeah, just diversifying the, the landscape with a bunch of different varieties. And, would be the thing to do as well. And Robin, there is no other besides cutting cutting down those cherries. There's nothing else that to to spray on them to take care of the black knot. There's no products we can use, right? Some right. people use a dormant oil. Say if you had a one Schubert cherry in a front yard and you really love this cherry, you could use a dormant oil. We spray a lot of dormant oil in the spring, right before the leaves come out, and that washes off all the fungals and the diseases, and it it definitely helps. But when you're talking about yeah, an acreage, uh, two hundred trees, it's, it's probably not going to be cost-effective no no um i also see that they have a hardy cherry that's out uh it's called uh furnace crimson passion cold they're a dwarf cherry mm-hmm. yeah and all the was... cherries that the university bob Boers at the U of S have, has created uh beautiful i've got several in my yard um, uh, yeah, definitely try those. Get it in a nice eating cherry off of it. It's a little more sour than a BC cherry, of course, but and they don't get black knot, which is great. There you go. Yeah, well, I think maybe I'll get myself one of those from by the house. But you get tons of cherries off them, tons, pails of cherries. They're just prolific. Just get it, you get a oh, couple in the yard. Good. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mama. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome, Robin. Have a great day. Take care. You too. Bye. 1-877-332-8255. It's amazing how fast this show goes because we're already at the time for our next break. So hang on tight. You can give us a call and join the conversation. And we're also going to get to a bunch of texts as well when we get back. 1-877-332-8255. I'm Jay Thomas with Jill Van Dyke. This is Garden Talk on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Thanks for joining us on Garden Talk on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. I'm Jay Thomas with Jill Van Dyke. Next week, we're going to look forward to Seed Starting 101, right? Seed Starting 101, yes. We're going to be talking about how to get those little seedlings started, what to start, what supplies you're going to need, and kind of what to be successful, and maybe a little bit of planning on doing that sort of farm-to-food, um, farm-to-table sort of idea in your home. Yeah, that's really that's really exciting. Okay, we've still got Robin there with us, who's from Arborcrest, and Robin, we've got a few tech to get through. We'll call it the lightning round because there's a few we want to get uh, answered from from you, okay? Sounds good. All right, let's start with this one, and it kind of relates to what we were talking about with our last caller. Uh, Les in Corning, one of our longtime listeners, just says, is it really advisable to plant, say, choke cherry trees where there's so much disease this pa- the past couple of years? 
Yeah, it just depends on your yard, depends on your neighbor's yard, depends on your neighbor's yard three doors down. Uh, if they have black knot and a really bad infestation of black knot, then it, you're probably going to be fighting a losing battle if you plant a, a choke, choke cherry. But I, I definitely really like these uh, prairie cherries that are out there. Um, it's, it's, you get, you get an abundance of cherries off of them, fruit, birds, and, uh, I would go with those. So it's about making an informed decision, basically. Look yep. around, see if anybody else has got that problem. If really not, you're probably in the clear. Yeah, they had the midnight series of cherry, but they said it was going to be black knot free, but no, I think, it, sadly, it did, I think, get succumbed to the black knot, that, that midnight variety. Okay. Uh, and this is another one from Julie, who's in Battleford. Uh, text that's come in. We are trying to do the impossible. Grow cherry trees and blueberries in sandy soil with grass and deer. Each tree has a rubber pad around it and with wood chips on top to, uh, you know, keep the heat and protect the roots. Cages protecting the deer most of the time. Uh, they're all on a drip system. What fertilizing and watering should we do? As expected, they're struggling a little bit. Sounds like they're doing a lot of things right there. You, you definitely, if, if, you, if you're worried about deer, you've got to set up a barrier, uh, set up a snow fence. Um, same to, to the lady that called Frith the Willow down in southern Saskatchewan. Uh, don't put burlap or anything right up against the tree or, or like you think about wrapping up against a cedar. Uh, you don't want to actually have that burlap up against a cedar. You want to set a four-post barrier around and then kind of wrap and create a wind windbreak. Same thing with, with protecting deer. Uh, put a deer fence uh, or put um, snow fence up and just keep the deer away. Uh, the main thing about blueberries is acidity. Uh, so aluminum sulfate. Mm. Um, our, all our all our all our soils are alkaline uh, around Saskatchewan up until you get to the northern area, where you just you know there's mountains of our um, lots of blueberries growing in the sandy soil up there. So it's it's all about acidity. So uh, aluminum sulfate. Uh, you can get them at the garden center. Uh, read the label. Uh, just anything to bring that pH down and make it more acidic. And that's, that's the way you're going to have success with blueberries. And in, in sandy soil for both the cherry and the blueberry watering, is it going to be pretty frequent then? Frequent watering. So, yeah, well-drained sandy soil, lots of mulch, good, good organic mulch, wood chip mulch over top of it, and, uh, and, then, and then fertilize for those, for those blueberries. Perfect. Constant fertilizer. And then, yep, soil test to make sure you do have acidic situation. Perfect, perfect. We've got a couple more questions we want to get to. Uh, this is for Jill, directed for her. When do you start bringing your canna lilies up to start them, and is there a chart somewhere to give you times for seed starting? Well, we're going to talk about it next week. Yeah, seed starting, there's charts. You can look it up, but basically what you're going to do is um, all your seeds will have on the package when you should sow before the first frost date. So just take it, says six to eight weeks, count that backwards from the May long weekend, and then you got your, your sow date there. Um, with your cannas, you can start bringing them up right now. Um, I usually would suggest about March um, to mid-March, depending on what types of, there's some dwarf cannas, maybe I would wait a little bit longer, but the really tall ones, you could bring them up now, start watering them, fertilizing them, and then they'll get growing for you. Okay, so there you go. Robin, uh, we're pretty much down to the last minute of our show here. Uh, if people are looking to get a hold of you, where's the best way? If they're thinking, okay, you know, I've got some tree trimming i got to get done this spring. I don't feel like climbing up on the ladder. You guys will do it for them, right? Yeah, for sure. We're uh, we're just getting rolling, like I said, uh, now that the cold weather's hopefully passed us. So 306-242-TREE or 242-8733 is our phone number. Perfect. And uh, just to sh- just let people know, uh, all the snow that we have around here, you know, may not last forever. So you do that snow farming around the uh, base of their, that south-facing wall of a house. 
move some of the snow that's on your walkway, move it up against over top of some of those uh, uh, perennials and, and shrubs and, and just move some snow around so we keep the moisture around those 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 uh, south-facing uh, plants. And I was also on your website, arborcrest.com, and you can actually uh, get a quote, book an appointment, and all those things as well. You betcha. Thanks for joining us today, Robin. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, and thank you for joining us and listening today. we gotta, we got to run. So, yeah, seed starting happening next weekend on Garden Talk, and thanks for joining us. We'll, we'll catch you next time. I'm Jay Thomas with Jill Van Dyvendyke. This is Garden Talk on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM.